When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the Heartland, I am delivering them to you from the Heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 23 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Hey, Heartlanders, you guys patrons yet? Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our audio archives dating back to 2012. It's a great way to show your support, and you get a whole lot for it. I bought a pen that can write underwater. It can write other words as well. Wifey is still mad at me because I accidentally put super glue on her pen a few days ago. She just can't seem to let it go. What do you call a pen with no ink? A <laughs> stick. <laughs> Is it possible a physical writing pen can be a muse? Dirk Stevens will let us know. So, let's get after it. Gregory has always wanted to be a prolific writer. He was just never able to quite find the muse. That is, until an ancient pen forged by a god came into his possession. And now, for your indulgence, author by Dirk Stevens. How to begin? 
I cough out a single snorting laugh. <laughs> At the beginning, I suppose. I dip my pen into the bottle beside my notebook and shake the excess ink from the tip. Archaic, I know, but computers seem... removed. Vulgar as Rembrandt painting by program. Michelangelo carving David by giving instructions to an understudy. And I am an artist. The page my canvas. Each work my child. And so I use tools worthy of that calling. My brush, a truly ancient pen. How old? I can't say. Nor could the collector that sold it to me. Fashioned of bone, yellowed with age, etched with delicate depictions of the horned god playing his pipes as he dances among the dryads. The inkwell, a small bottle of green glass the seller told me had always accompanied the pen. And so, pressing pen to paper, it is with these instruments I begin to paint. Ducking her head, Stacy peered up at the stoplight, whispering, Three cappuccinos, one large, two medium, simple enough, one low-fat, one soy, and a shot of caramel in the medium. Her thumbs drummed against the top of the steering wheel. Or was the medium one soy? She couldn't remember. Crap! A honk drew her attention to the rearview mirror and then to the light. Green. Stacy waved an apology to the car behind her and pulled through the intersection. It was her decision to make the pitch. Her entire future depended on this meeting, and now she had one in three shot at poisoning one of her potential investors. Shaking her head, she sat up straight. Don't be such a drama queen. She glanced up at the mirror. Not poison, just stomach cramps, gas, and explosive diarrhea. Her shoulders slumped as she glared at the woman staring back at her. Maybe you should drink from the poison goblet. I lift the pen from the notebook. Stacy seems like a nice girl. I dip the tip into the inkwell to refresh the supply, wondering about her past. Where this queer mix of self-doubt and achievement came from. What demons lurk in the shadows of her mind and how they will shape her future. If hers will be a tale of conquest or tragedy. I touch the tip of my pen to paper, but a knock sounds at the door. Blast it all! I mutter, lift my hand, and toss an angry glare toward the hall. Always interruptions. Yes? Somehow I manage to keep my voice at least reasonably pleasant. If this is about taking you shopping, the door cracks open. Sophia, my wife, skulks into my study. Gregory, darling? She glances up from the floor, meeting my gaze only briefly. I only wanted to remind you about dinner later. She takes a deep breath, eyes red. Wiping my pen clean, I lay it aside. Her every move reminds me of a scolded puppy. I can't help but wince at the bite in my tone earlier, but even so, to see her now, so upset, I don't understand it. I've never struck her, never even raised my voice or insulted her except in jest. I haven't forgotten, 
She nods and again meets my stare for only a moment. Her brow furrows, her chin shakes, and her gaze falls to the floor. Then I shall leave you to your work, mi amor. She practically melts back through the crack and out into the hall, shutting the door without so much as a click of the handle. My gaze lingers on the place where she stood. I'm not a monster. It was just a bit of ill temper, that's all. And she's always been sensitive. Perhaps due to cultural differences. She's Spanish, I'm English. We met online and only been married a year. Not enough time to really get used to one another. But that face. I shake my head to chase the chill from my thoughts and reach for the pen. I need to guard my tongue better, and I will. But, despite my intentions, as I dip the tip into the ink and begin to write, my chest tightens. I don't see good things in Stacy's future. Not now. Not with these dark musings tainting my mood. Bottom lip between her teeth, Stacy glanced up at the coffee barn sign just ahead down at the foam peeking up out of her purse, and then steered the car into the driveway. She shouldn't even be here. Barb's the one that wanted to give them coffee. The responsible partner. Stacy was the creative force. The dreamer. The scatterbrain. Keeping things straight was Barb's job. She was the one with the contacts, the finances, the head for business. Barb was the one who insisted on expanding. She was the one who called in the investors in the first place. Actually, Stacy sucked her lips against her teeth. That being the case, Barb probably had more to lose than she did. The thought dropped like a lead weight straight into Stacy's stomach. She was a train wreck. Barb was probably the only person alive that would even consider letting her make the pitch. Who'd put that kind of faith in her? Stacy glanced at her phone. She should call, just to be safe. Slipping into line at the drive-thru, Stacy snatched her phone and swiped her thumb across the screen. The wallpaper, an image of a fairy seated on a red and white mushroom, came up. But before she could switch to phone, the screen went dark. Crap! Stacy glanced up at the minivan ahead of her to make sure it hadn't moved forward. Dead battery. Again. She should have plugged it in when she first got in the car. Groaning, she plunged her hand into her purse to find the cord. The screen flashed white. Stacy's hand froze. Dark shapes moved in the black of the screen, grainy at first, but as she watched, the outline of a bed came into focus, a dresser off the foot end, a closet door standing open. The video zoomed in on a lamp standing on a nightstand. The shade the shape of a mushroom with a white bearded gnome snoozing against the stalk, his hands folded over his blue coat. Just like the one she bought at the Renaissance Festival last month. The one on her nightstand. Stacy blinked. What the hell? The image jostled, then settled on a figure in the bed, sleeping. It zoomed in on the face. Stacy's face. Tingles shot down her arms. She couldn't breathe. Someone had been in her room. With her. 
filming her sleep. The video drew back. A long knife poked in from the left side of the screen. Only the blade. It floated over her face, followed the curve of her cheek, and paused above her throat. The image faded. One word appeared in the center of the screen. Amana. The car behind her honked. Stacy screamed. She clutched the wheel with both hands. Her phone bounced off the windshield and her leg went stiff against the pedal. The engine roared. Her car jumped forward and all turned to shattered glass. There. Pulse pounding in my ears, I mopped the sweat from my brow, shake my mind back into the real world, and glance up at the clock resting on the top of the desk. Nearly 1,600 hours. My word. I wiped the pen clean, lay it in the groove formed into the top of the bottle, and press the cork into the mouth. But my hands won't stop shaking. Four hours? I blow across the page to dry the ink. I've always lost myself in the stories, but lately, since I upgraded my equipment, since I began seeing myself as an artist and not a writer, my stories have become far more real, far more engaging. I'm not just observing anymore. I'm there. I walk on their feet, see with their eyes, and their stress becomes my own. It's an intense experience. Time gets away from me, but my writing has improved. Dramatically. What began as a hobby has become a career. My stories known by millions. All within the past few months. Legs tingling from lack of movement, I brace my hands on the arms of the chair and force my body to rise. It takes a few minutes for the tingles to fade, for the feeling to creep back into my legs. But it's nothing. A few lost hours and a little exhaustion is a small price to pay for success. I toss another glance at the clock and sigh. Unfortunately, the price of success has left me only ten minutes to shower, change, and get to the car. What was... The sun hangs low in the western sky, painting the clouds pink and brilliant orange, filling the empty places between the hills with the soft ethereal glow of evening light. Absolutely beautiful. The road curves into the sun. I pull down my visor and crane my neck to see the pavement from the shade it offers. Beside me, Sophia clears her throat, the first sound she's made since leaving home. I glance at her out of the corner of my eye, never losing sight of the road. Her hands folded in her lap, her head turned sideways, oblivious to the majesty exploding before us. I swallow and shift my focus back to the road. She's struggling. With what? I don't know. I never have been terribly good at reading people, but between her manner earlier and her silence now, even I can tell that much. And if experience has taught me anything, it's that we will talk about it sooner or later, and the longer it festers, the more passionate that conversation will become. The problem is, I don't know if it's me that's upset her. If I blunder in and I'm the cause, well, gasoline on a flame. Now best tread lightly. 
a marvelous sunset. She turns her head and blinks at me, as if I had interrupted a thought, then glances out the windshield. See? Her gaze falls to her lap, but she says nothing more. This isn't working. Sophia Mikorazan, what lays so heavy a burden on so lovely a soul? This time her eyes sparkle when she looks at me. Silver-tongued devil. The sparkle fades. All right, but you must promise not to laugh. Why would I? A hint of fire smolders in her eyes. Because it's about one of my friends you call fake. Ah, she means one of her online friends. People she met anonymously, has no idea who they really are or where, and yet, tender soul that she is, becomes emotionally invested in their lives. As if she knew them. As if they were family. I won't laugh. Pulling one hand from the wheel, I draw an X over my chest. Cross my heart. She levels her index finger in my direction and her eyes narrow. You bet that or not. And I don't want to see this in your next story either. She shakes her finger to accentuate the point. Now I'm interested. I promise. She lowers her hand and the fire in her eyes shrinks away. I have a friend in America, a storyteller like you, but not spooky and with videos for children. She's a very kind woman, always worried about the little ones, always thinking of new stories to help them be happy and teach them important lessons. You help her? She shrugs. Not much. She tells me her ideas and I tell her what I think. She doesn't really need me, but I think it gives her confidence to have someone to talk to. A slight smile creeps up her cheek. No, I'm telling lies. She writes picture books, not videos. Picture books she once kept only to herself. Until she told me she had a friend who did videos for advertisements, I convinced her to share her stories with this friend, Barb. Barb, I snort. Now that's a coincidence. Yes, Sophia waves her hand dismissively. We use first names if we discuss people in our lives, but only first names. We don't want to know too much. Her gaze hardens. You're getting me off topic. No more interruptions. I pantomime zipping my mouth closed. Good. She licks her lips. Now, where was I? Ah, yes. Barb was very impressed with her stories and helped her make a few into videos for the YouTube. They did well. Very well. And so Barb and my friend went into business together. It was very successful, and Barb believed that there was an opportunity to expand. She contacted a group of her clients, those who had dealings with television shows and movies. Unzipping my lips, I pat Sophia's knee. That's wonderful. But Sophia doesn't return my smile. They were to have a meeting yesterday, but my friend got into an auto accident at the coffee shop. My hand goes numb. What? See. Sophia's head droops. She told me she received a threatening message in panic. She slammed into the back of another car and broke her leg. My hand slips from her thigh to the wheel, 
It's a tale far too similar to Stacy's to the story I crafted for her. I stare out at the sunset, but somewhere in the lines of Sophia's story, the sky lost its color. The hills now loom out of the gray twilight, ominous and brooding. A mirror image of the hollow tingles within my chest. Coincidence, that's all it is, I tell myself. Remarkable coincidence. Flowing Sand After my brush with deja vu, if it counts as such, someone telling you about something similar to what you wrote, the rest of the evening went by quite pleasantly. We reached the restaurant, and after listening to Sophia's friend's problem, after she calmed, she filled me in on the comings and goings of her other online friends. I listened intently as we ate, struck by the irony that such an introvert as her, a woman who avoided social interaction at all costs, who hardly spoke to anyone but myself and her own family, could be so gregarious online, under the shroud of anonymity. Flaxen Planet from Iceland recently had her third child. Stumpy Showboat of Australia was on holiday. The names were enough to make me laugh, but what always captivated me was how real these relationships were to her. She had no idea who these people were. Not really. No clue if what they told her was true. Any of it. And yet, they were every bit as real to her as if she had met them daily for tea and biscuits. Mind chewing on these thoughts, I scoop my chair closer to the desk and reach for my pen. The horned god dances as I twist the bone between my fingers, his antlers held high. So intricate, the carving, that the dryads seem to move as they dance. But I'm here to write. My vision blurs as my eyes strain to shift from pen to paper, from the horned god to Stacy's story. Sophia's friend's story. A shiver shakes my arms. I take the page and lay it to the side. I don't believe in this sort of nonsense. Magic, clairvoyance, whatever the devil you wish to call it. Nonetheless, I can't explain the similarities between my story and Sophia's friend's, and it's put me off. I can't continue it. I need a new tale. One untainted by this, well, whatever this is. I pull the bottle from its nook, unstopper the cork, and begin again. Heart pounding, Kasim pressed back into the shadows. Netifer again, he panted, clutching the billfold to his chest. If he had not been starving, he never would have resorted to this. To thieving. His chin shook. Aurla, forgive me. So this is what he had become. A thief. His eyes burned. Never would he have believed he would turn to sin just to fill his belly. And fill it he had. With shame. He would never steal again. Never. Even if it meant death, he would never taste this bitter poison again. Footsteps echoed down the alleyway. Kasim crouched low, willing himself to melt into the stone wall behind him. Listening, his every sense stretched to the breaking point, not daring even to breathe. The footsteps thundered closer, 
like thirsty horses stampeding toward the river, a thunder broken only by angry voices, curses in the wind. You have only the papers you thieve in beyond there. They do you no good. Papers? Kasim glanced down at the pocketbook he had taken, realizing only then it was too large to be a wallet, that it was tied, closed, and bound by a golden seal, a seal he knew well, the seal of Sabah al-Salam, the greatest horse breeder in all Arabia. Trembling, he pried open the edge and peeked at the paper within. The legacy, the bloodline, the title of ownership for their prized stallion peered back at him. The realization of what he had done struck like lightning. It burned his stomach, sent him to his hands and knees, retching. There he is, one of the men called. Kasim struggled to raise his head, but his stomach convulsed once more. Sandals skidded to a stop, inches from his vomit. Black cloth swayed like curtains, and a hand seized him by the hair. Kasim's scalp screamed as the hand jerked him to his feet and then from the ground. Blinded by pain, he clawed at the massive fingers clamped around his hair, kicked, thrashed, begged for them to let go. A boy, a voice shouted. Spit sprayed against Kasim's face, and he forced his eyes to open. They sent a boy? The bearded figure's eyes almost glowed with hatred. So, the Fed de Mesurical thinks we will show you mercy because you are young. A glint of light pulled Kasim's gaze lower, to a curved blade sliding out of the man's sleeve. They will soon know better. No! Kasim thrashed. I do not know. By Allah, I swear. Molten iron slashed across Kasim's throat. Blood sprayed the man's beard in rhythmic fountains. Kasim dug at the man's hand, but with each pulse, his strength lessened. His fingers refused to grip. Numbness pressed in. Cold. Terrible cold. Darkness. A thick, endless darkness that pushes me from Kasim's mind. Out of the story. The pen falls from my hand as the last spark of life flees Kasim's body. A cold, pale frost clings to my brow, a thick emptiness that slows time itself to a crawl. I watch the pen roll down the page. The horned god vanish and reappear as it goes. The thick dot of red ink clinging to the tip as it rattles to a stop at the bottom of the writing board. Red. I glance up at the bottle resting on the flat part of the desk, the shelf above the inclined writing surface. I wasn't using red. I never write in red. My gaze drops to the page, the black letters that start Kasim's tale, but switch to red partway down. I reach for the bottle, but as I stretch out my hand, a dull ache pulls me up short draws my attention to a red dot in the web between my thumb and forefinger. I lift my hand, tip back my head, and peer at the wound through my spectacles. A round, wet hole. Snatching the pen with my other hand, I press the tip to my tongue. The taste of blood fills my mouth. 
Numb, I spit on the floor and stare at Kasim's story. A story written in blood. My blood. I toss the pen at the desk. It hits the writing board and rolls down to the rail at the bottom where it stops with the horned god facing me. But he's changed. The flute rests in his hands, not his lips, and his muzzle has curled into a mischievous smile. I stare at him still as stone, until my eyes burn. But he has changed. He's not playing the flute. He's smiling at me. He sees me. A single shuddering breath trickles into my lungs and at last I blink. I look again, but he's changed back. The flute rests between his lips, his head turned toward the dryads. As it's always been. But it's moved. I know it has. Twice. Every piece of my being screams. Chuck it in the bin. Get rid of it. Smash it. I stretch out my hand, but my gaze lingers on the woodland scene carved into the bone. That pen is ancient and costs nearly 2,000 pounds. I pull back and massage the ache in my hand. I won't keep it. I can't. But I can't simply toss 2,000 pounds. No, I'll sell it back to the collector instead. A soft, haunting melody tickles at the edge of hearing. Dreamlike. The horn god's head dips. The dryads turn as they dance and my breathing slows. It's such a beautiful piece, more artifact than instrument. So very beautiful. It would be a shame to give it up. After all, it's only a pen, a thing, and things don't move. My mind is playing tricks. I'm tired, that's all. I wince as my thumb prods the hole in the back of my hand, already capped by a sticky wet scab. The room falls silent. I blink at the figures etched into the pen, but they stand as they've always done, unmoving. But they did. I pull the glasses from my nose, drop them on the desk, and drag my hand down my face. Steady on, mate. Whatever the devil's happening, I can't ignore the reality of the situation. It moved. I saw it. Which means I've gone barmy. Either that, or there really is magic at work. I pushed the thought away with a snort. <laughs> Gregory, old boy, you've been at your stories over much. I tossed the pen one last glance, but there's nothing new. No change. Just a fine old pen. A thing of beauty. I shake my head. No, I shan't part with it. I reach for the pen. No, indeed. The sound of my voice hangs like a fog among the books and trappings of my study as I carefully wipe the tip clean on my sleeve. A single streak of blood that screams like a siren in the back of my mind. Get rid of it. I suppose it couldn't hurt to question the seller further, just to set the mind at ease. If that doesn't settle, if these oddities continue, I can always see a doctor. 
though I do hope it doesn't come to that. I glance up at the clock. 10.15. It's two hours to London Center. The shop is in the old city. A foot zone. A 15-minute walk. I could have done it today, and I do seem to recall Sophia wanting to go shopping in the old quarter. What is? London? Sophia's eyes narrow. You never said anything about needing to go to London today. And why are you bringing your pen? I wanted to surprise you. I finish wrapping the inkwell in yesterday's paper and tuck it into the inside pocket of my jacket, right beside the pen. How long have I been promising to take you shopping? And, well, I simply thought that I might pop in at the reliquary and see if I could learn a thing or two about the old bone. The hardness of her eyes melts in an instant. You're taking me shopping? In the old quarter? I nod. Just so. Without warning, she leaps forward, nearly tackling me as she folds her arms around my neck. You really are. Her grip goes slack. She slides to the floor and pushes me back to arm's length. But what about all the people? Ah, of course. That would be the fly in the ointment. Her aversion to crowds. But by happy accident, it won't be an issue. I toss her what I hope to be a conspiratorial smile. That's why I chose today. Middle of the week. Off day. Practically empty. She redoubles her embrace and seals it with a kiss. Oh, you think of everything. Yes, quite. I clear my throat, press my lips against her forehead and pull her close until the heat fades from my cheeks. But despite the squirm in my chest, I'm not lying. Not really. Two birds, one stone. She doesn't need to know all the mishigas. On then. I give her another kiss. If you like, we can even stop for chips. As we drive, Sophia fills me in on the latest comings and goings of her online friends. Weird Pickle lost her job when the workers at the company hers supplies went on strike. Salty Monkey's cesarean went without a hitch, and she's now the proud mother of a four-pound baby boy. For my part, I smile, nodding where appropriate, but the stories themselves I slip into the file to be used later. It's her I worry about. In the real world, she has no social contacts whatsoever. Says that real people are too intense. The internet lets her stand at a distance, whatever the devil that means. But if she's content as things are, I suppose that's what truly matters. Rather than fight the traffic, we take the short jaunt to Faversham and hop the tram instead. From the station, it's only a short walk to the old shops. As luck would have it, we miss the rush, but even in the sparse crowd, Sophia's fingernails dig into my palm. Her eyes dart from person to person as we walk the streets of London. Jaw tense, her lips a tight thin line. I give her hand a squeeze to comfort her, to let her know I'm here, and I understand. She offers me a slight smile, releases my hand, and slips her arm behind my back. I drape my arm over her shoulders. Her steps loosen, but it isn't until we reach the old quarter 
until the walkway widens into an elongated courtyard that she truly relaxes. Even so, I'm not certain being on her own is something she's entirely keen on. Why don't you come to the reliquary with me? After, I'll go to any shop you like. No complaints. Sophia watches a lone couple as they pass the candy store on the other side of the yard. The woman stops, pulls her partner's hand, and drags him inside. Sophia swallows. No, I do not like this shop of yours. Too many sad old things. Too many bad memories. She glances up at me and smiles. You promised me chips. Her smile is infectious, and I find myself laughing in response. So I did. She raises her hand and points her pinky at a food cart parked on the street down past the reliquary. Meet me there in one hour. I plant a kiss on the top of her head, drink in the scent of lavender, and step back with a crisp salute. Yes, mum. Laughing, she slaps my shoulder and pushes me back. Go on, you. She turns away pretending to be upset, takes a few steps, then spins on her heel and glares at me over the top of her pointed finger. One hour. I can't help but smile. It's a date. Tools of the Trade I watch Sophia as she walks away. She pauses outside a candle shop, tosses me one last wave, and vanishes inside. My word, I laugh. The memories of old things is too intense, but not that. I shake my head, still haunted by the memory of the last candle shop she dragged me through. The onslaught of 10,000 overly scented candles unleashed on a single nose, a veritable pink haze of potpourri, lavender, and peach passion, carefully chosen to befuddle the senses, to render one heedless to the grand larceny taking place at the register. At 50 pounds a candle! I head in the opposite direction, to the little shop just off the main thoroughfare, a smaller stone shop, tucked almost conspiratorially between two larger, grander shops, a relic of the Dark Ages, hiding, almost as if it didn't want to be discovered. Even its old-world shingle hanging above the door, perpendicular to the shop, seemed to harken back to that time. The peeling green paint, the gold lettering, the reliquary. The door creaks as I enter. The scent of mildew, old parchment, and languishing metal send a shiver down my back. Not a fear, no. This, this scent, this air of time, of history, resonates within my very soul. And here, history reigns supreme. Every shelf laden with relics of the past. Roman swords, ancient tea sets, every nook filled. African spears, masks, Egyptian treasures, ivory carvings from India, a veritable jungle of the past towering above me like canyon walls. Oh, the stories contained within, the tales they could tell, endless fodder to fuel the muse. I breathe deep, letting it all seep in. It's been too long, and for the life of me, 
I can't remember why I haven't returned to this magical place sooner. Ah. A voice sighs from up ahead, drawing my attention from the museum around me to the flickering flame of a brass oil lamp standing on a wood counter. Or rather, the little man behind it. I see you again? His eyes narrow behind his thick, wire-rimmed spectacles. Or is this the first meeting for you and I? Again, I answer as he hobbles out from behind the counter. We've met before. Again, you say? He jerks the glasses from his face, sweeps his leather apron aside, and wipes them clean in his shirt tail. Or maybe just for you, eh? He laughs and slides the glasses back onto his face. Let us see. Again, his eyes narrow. No, your face is strange to me. Or is it new to you, hmm? I wince. That's why I never came back. Him. Clearing my throat, I plunge my hand into my jacket. It's been a while. My fingers close around the pen and inkwell. I purchased a rather odd artifact a while back. Ah, yes! His eyes widen. You are the weaver of tales. Yes, yes, I remember you now. Why have you returned? I draw the pen from my pocket and lay it in his hands, and then the inkwell, both still wrapped in paper. I'd like to learn more about these. Possibly return them? His gaze drops to the packages in his hands. Let us see. He lays them on the countertop, carefully unwraps each one as a doctor might strip a bandage from a wound and holds the pen up to the lamp. Do they no longer work for you? I snort. It's a dip pen. There's nothing to malfunction. It isn't that. He spins on his heel and peers at me over the top of his glasses. Then what? I don't want them anymore. But even as the words pass my lips, they taste a lie. I do want them. Badly. His eyes change. How, I can't describe exactly. It's as if the light within flickers, but beyond sight. It hardly matters. He holds out the pen, offering it to me. I lift my hand, ready to take it when he adds, He wants you. My hand freezes, inches from the pen. What? He cocks his head to the side. When you came to me all those years ago, he blinks. No, no, that's not right. He sighs. Time is such a slippery thing. Just when you think you know when you are, memories have to go and slither around again. I swear, I can't tell which when is where or what not is which. He raises his eyebrows, as if I'm supposed to have a clue what he's babbling about. As if I'm meant to sympathize with his plight. 
When I don't, he shrugs, apparently deciding to let the matter pass. When you came to me, you asked for a piece of history. A muse, you said. Numb, I nod. But now I understand. His brow creases. You did not know what a muse is. What it was you asked for. Something about the sound of his voice, the way he says it, crawls through my veins, sends my pulse thundering. I don't answer. Humans are stupid beasts. They do not have ideas. They do what they are told and think they do what they choose. The muse is the voice that whispers, the tug of the puppeteer. And this, he shakes the pen, is your puppet master. He grabs my hand, forces the pen into my palm and clasps his hand over mine. Do you not feel it? You have written the past. It has tasted your blood. It was the ink you used to write the present. Or did you think Asim's death was not real? The vibration of the will of the gods runs through your veins. Now you must write the future. You must dance to their music. The dance of destiny. He releases my hand and steps to the side. I glance at the pen in my hand, then to the tools of my trade resting on the counter. Paper. The inkwell. My mouth goes dry. It's everything I need. A soft whistle drones at the edge of hearing. The shadow of motion draws my gaze to the pen, to the hypnotic sway of the dryads as they dance to the music echoing in my mind, to the fingers of the horned god moving over the holes of his flute. Music that chases away all thought. The store, the man, the lamp, all of it vanishes. All but the pen, the ink, the paper. I stumble toward the counter. My fingers twitch around the pen and reality comes in broken shards. The weight of the inkwell stopper in my palm, the soft scratch of paper beneath my wrist, the scrape of bone on parchment and time itself fades away as I write. Of what my hand hath wrought. Smoke curls over the treetops. It drifts down the ridge and paints the valley below with the stench of blood and death. A great pain stabs at my heart as if I myself have been claimed prey. It's their blood I smell, the blood of my faithful. That was our final stand. If I had not seen the forest burn myself with my own eyes, I would never have believed it. My Lord Coronas, what shall we do? What indeed? This new god is stronger than I, and his followers zealous, powerful in their faith, as the young often are. I twist the end of my antler between my thumb and forefinger as I consider what comes next. As we are strong in our faith in you, my lord. I turn, fixing my gaze on the young warrior laid prostrate at my hooves. 
You are our God, and we have failed you. Have they? I take in the deep gash marring his cheek. A low purr rumbles deep in my throat. Wounded, and yet he remains faithful. Even now, even as my reign ends. But even he, my warrior priest, doesn't understand. I am Coronas, lord of nature. I cannot be defeated. This is not a defeat. It is part of the cycle. Spring, summer, autumn, and winter. It is simply the change of the seasons. He raises his head, but does not dare meet my gaze. He respects me far too much for that, has too much faith. What would you have us do? Mortals, I snort. Always they assume their actions are their own, that they are more than our playthings. Do nothing. Sleep as the bear. Await our spring, this new god's autumn. However strong this new god from the south is, his followers are but mortals. In time, they will become complacent, lose sight of his hand at work in their limbs. Perhaps doubt he ever existed at all. And when they do, when they lose faith entirely, then I shall rise and claim them as my own. But how and when? For I too must sleep. My gaze lingers on the man before me. I sniff the air. His faith smells strong indeed. Stronger than any other. He is sufficient for the task. But not you. You must remain vigilant. For you shall be my chosen instrument. His head falls to the earth. My lord! I break off the tip of my antler, wave my hand over its length, and press my divine will into its singular form. Mine and that of my faithful attendants, the spirits of the trees. Take this. Time will pass, and while you will age, you will age slowly. One day for every ten years. Wait until the world of men no longer believes in what it cannot fathom, that they are masters of their own destiny. Then find one touched by the gods, whose skill can be harnessed, whose dreams mix with the waking world, who presses his thoughts into the minds of men, a painter, a musician, a teller of tales. I will shape his thoughts, and he shall use his gifts to grant me a sacrifice, an offering of blood, of love. The sun will blaze red, I shall wake, and the world they know shall end. The scent of old things wafts in among the trees, the outline of shells and relics mixes among the greenery of the forest. I blink down at the man kneeling before me as he fades away, replaced by a sheet of newspaper, pinned to the countertop by my hand, by the pen, the antler of Coronas. Hot needles stab at my chest. I jerk my hand from the pen as if from a flame. What is it? The voice shatters the ball of needles in my chest. My gaze jumps to the shopkeeper. 
to the thin white line marring his cheek, the almost invisible scar hidden between his wrinkles. Shards pulse through my veins. I can barely breathe. It's him. The warrior. My gaze darts back to the paper, to the wet ink scribbled over the type. But I can't make it out, not mashed together with the article like it is. Only a few words stand out, those scrawled in the blank places between the headlines. Sophia. Truck. There was nothing in my vision about Sophia. No truck. I didn't write this. Yes, you did. The shopkeeper levels a withered finger at the paper. You've been working at it for an hour now. I watched you. But it can't be. I snatched the paper and skipped to the writing at the bottom of the page, the last line crammed into the margin. And with her last breath, Coronas rises again. Her death. My gaze jumps back to the space between the articles. Sophia. But my mind refuses to accept what I'm seeing. I tell you, I didn't write this. The squeal of sliding tires silences my protest. It rakes down my spine and jerks my attention to the window, to the red shaft of light spilling through the storefront. At last, the shopkeeper whispers, transfixed by the window, his face twisted into a deranged smile. The smile of a zealot. Sophia. Truck. Sacrifice. The words burn behind my eyes. I slap the back of my hand against the paper. I didn't write this. I didn't. But my voice comes as a pleading whimper, even as the paper slips through my fingers. It's written in my own hand. I hope you enjoyed tonight's story, Author, by Dirk Stevens. Dirk Stevens exists only as a fantasy, more at home among the fairies as goblins of his imagination than roaming the mundane realm of mortals. He's an award-winning member of the Springfield Writers Guild and the author of many dark short stories, including Purgatory, 2021. Lil's single mistake ends her engagement and her life. Now forced to haunt the man she loves, Lil struggles to find a way to keep him alive. Purgatory can be found on Amazon.com. If you enjoyed tonight's story, hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, 
Our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a five-star review, and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple Podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens. So if you haven't subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate it. I'm your host for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.